There's the Velvelettes with He Was Really Saying Something from 1964, written by Mickey Stevenson, uh, Norman Whitfield and Eddie Holland, and now live on the phone, the man himself, Mickey Stevenson. Mickey, welcome to Radio Newark. Uh, welcome to England. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Glad to be with you. <laughs> right. Just just to give you, uh, just to let anybody who might have been living under a stone know uh, your role in Motown, you were essentially the whole thing that kept it together, weren't you? Um, you are their first A&R man. That's responsible for what? Finding uh, singers and artists and musicians? Find the artists, the writers, producers, and uh, Barry Gordy gave me the opportunity to do anything as we put it, that I think would make the company better, I could do. Fantastic. I mean, that's quite a responsibility. That's quite a responsibility, yeah. and you really pulled it off. But we'll talk about that a little bit later, please. Um, so, for you, how did it all start? When did you start singing? Was it uh, at church? or? Well, <laughs> I, think, I think most black artists started at church. <laughs> yeah, I bet so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I started at, at church, but my, uh, fortunately for me, my mother was an entertainer yeah she was a singer and a writer and um she also played um uh drums uh, not just uh drum set but like kunga that sort of thing yeah i mean i mean she was so, um was, she was quite a high profile entertainer wasn't she we're talking kitty stevenson she was on the same sort of bill as sarah vaughan and the such like so right yeah kitty performing Brown at a high level was her stage name yeah and uh, she was uh, amazing. She was amazing and very spiritual. But she, she, uh, but I mean, she didn't smoke, drink, and uh, just did music and took care of her sons and daughters. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, uh, voice and and we, she trained us in singing. Right. You know, uh, like I tell everybody, having a voice is a gift, like anything else. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, we got gifts. We all got. Gifts three or four different gifts. Now, if we have the people around us that help develop those gifts, fantastic. If not, we still have the gifts that just weren't developed. You yeah. follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and so she was able to train you and your brothers and sisters to uh, to perform, weren't they, at quite a young age? Yeah, yes, yes. We were singing at a young age. As a matter of fact, uh, we did, uh, I think I was maybe 10 or something like that mm -hmm. my, my other two brothers, my one brother was like seven, and uh, we actually performed in a, a contest and won the contest. Fantastic. So uh, so then we were singing around the neighborhood and at different affairs for, for my mother and, and uh, grandma, entertaining. Uh -huh. And uh, it was it was had a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, I bet it must have been quite daunting as well, uh, um, performing in front of those large crowds. Well, yeah, it was good. But the main thing that as I grew older uh, and got into you know singing, really into it, singing, uh, the things that she taught us was very important. Yeah, that means you must put your time in on whatever it is you know want to do. In order to accomplish that, you must spend time with it. Oh yeah, and yeah. If you don't don't expect any results. No, that's right. That's I mean, like again, that's the gift, and it could be anything. You know what I'm saying? It could be no matter what you're doing. If you don't spend time with work with it, it's not going anywhere. That's right. I mean, I spent a lot of time with uh, with musicians as a tuba player myself, and uh, people often say to me, "Oh, that man, he's a natural." And I say, "Yeah, natural comes with lots and lots and lots of practice. You just don't. <laughs> that's the only way you get to be a natural." 
Um, you so, got that right. Absolutely. So <laughs> I you love that. you got into the into your late teens and um, joined the U.S. Air Force. Yeah, yeah. I I I, I was gonna make a career, make the service a career because uh-huh. uh, when I got in, I had an opportunity to uh, put on some shows and stuff, and that's it. And so I had a I had a nice feeling there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother had passed, of course. So oh, bless her! Yeah. Uh, at a very young I'm age, didn't she? Huh? At a very young age, bless her. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah she left when thing. I was thirteen. Wow. So wow. I was, uh, and I just uh, trying, trying to find my way. Yeah, of course. And when I got an opportunity to go to the service, I went in, and I, uh, I, uh, after being there for a while, and I could do some of the things that I was taught to do. I said, wow, I might make this a career, mm. you know, do, do do the whole career in the service. It was working pretty good until I came home on a furlough. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, because, because when you were in the services, you were actually in the entertainment department, weren't you? Um, which gave you a, fa- yeah. a fairly yeah. good grounding for uh, your future in A&R, because didn't the uh, Air Force have you um, organizing singers and dancers and musicians? Right. Yes, I was. I was putting on little productions and things, you know, just to keep uh, things alive, and it was great. And uh, uh, but what happened was when when I came home on the furlough, yeah, uh, I went to the Warfield Theaters. Like a Warfield Theater in Detroit was like, say, uh, the Apollo is to New York. All right, I see. So they had they had uh, uh, amateur shows. And then a movie and a cartoon, and you got all that for like, you know, seventy five cents uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> so, um, and I went there to see the the uh, amateur show, and when I I got really carried away when I heard a lot of acts were on there about fifteen acts when the four tops came on. Yeah. They were called the Four Aims at uh-huh. that time. And uh, I heard them and I said, wow, these guys sound great. So what and sort of year would this have great. been? Mid-50s? This was way, uh, oh, God, yes. Yeah. No, not before that. All right. Before that. And I heard them singing. And then when they, fit, when, and they won the contest. Mm-hmm. And, but I was so fired up. Yeah, but who would have thought that in time you'd not only sign the four tops for your label, but you'd also write for them? Uh, here's just one of the great tracks you wrote. This is Ask the Lonely. And I said to myself, this is the business I want to be in. Right. The entertain- I didn't care what part, but in the entertainment business, because... Seeing that audience get carried away and hearing those guys sing and 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 I, you could tell that they put a lot of time in on their songs, energy wise. Yeah, and worked it out. And uh, and I remember the song when I, when they sang the tune, I remembered it, and it never left my head. To this very day, I remember them singing. So they took blues and jazz and made it one sound. Okay. And I said, wow. Now, when I left, going back, my further was over it. I'm on my way back to the service. Um, and I was saying, 
I, I think I'm going to get out. Right. And my uh, my uh, my uh, you see uh, officer that was in charge, he said to me, well, you know, we want to send you for officer training school and you make a good uh, uh, officer for the, for your people and blah, blah, blah. He was selling me a good, a good bill of goods. And he was right about that because I, I was going to make service my career. But I said, I got to I got to try this music business. Mm hmm. I started with it when I was a kid, and I saw these guys. I was explaining to him how it affected me. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you go home for about, I'll give you three months. Right. And after 90 days, you got to either come back with me, we'll put you in officer training school, or you you, you can just, you know, you're out. Yeah, quit, yeah. But we, I need that. I, I'll give you that kind of time to make up your mind. Well, that was very good of him. Well, very good of him. Yeah. You know, and... Um, well, of course, I never went back. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you started but, singing, didn't you? You started performing as part of the Meadowlarks? Yes, well, I did the Meadowlarks, and then I got with uh, uh, a group, uh, uh, the, uh, well, the, Hamptons. the Lionel Hamptons. Yeah, the, the Hamptons. Hamptons. The, now. Uh, now, but the curiosity, again, kept building up. Yeah. Uh, when I got with the Hamptons, singing with that incredible organization, I'm watching great shows mm. and great lights and sound. And we were doing like a, I don't know if you remember this, but we, I may not remember. There was a group uh, out called the Four Freshmen at that time. Uh, no, I don't remember. Lambert, Kendrick, Ross, and Babu. Great singers. They were great. Great. But more jazz. They were jazz oriented. Phenomenal singers. And I said, oh, these poor tops. I mean, the, 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 the poor freshmen and, and uh, Lambert, Hendricks, and Ross. And I, I was in love with that kind of sound, you know, jazz-orientated sounds. Not so much R&B and rhythm and blues. Mm -hmm. And even when we won the contest as kids, we were singing what we called Mills Brothers songs. Right. Um, and so I was in another place. The only time I got into blues and R&B, anything close to it, which was in church. Uh -huh. Follow me? Yeah. So I'm hearing all these kind of sounds are in my head. And uh, uh, with the Lionel Hampton, the production's going down with Sinatra and, and uh, yeah, that's right. Sammy well, Davis. Lionel Hampton I'm was quite well known, wasn't he? Uh, joining the Hamptons oh, yeah, as lead singer yeah. must have been a real step up and an eye opener for you. It's the next level of business. Yeah, well, he was doing. Lionel Hampton was the was the was, was in the big band era with the uh, all the great bands, mm. you know, doing movies and stuff like that, you know. And uh, they would tour out together. The big orchestras would go out, and sixteen or better. And uh, so he, we were the background group and singing group for his his orchestra. Uh huh. <laughs> and you and, you, uh, you went on tour with him, didn't you? Quite an extensive yeah, tour yeah. across the U.S. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, and and that's where I, I met some of the greatest singers and 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 saw some of the greatest shows in the world. But it must also have were, must also have opened your eyes to the darker side of show business. Uh, you know the um, uh, the the drinking and the the gambling, the the women, unreliable musicians, oh. and getting ripped <laughs> off. What about getting ripped oh, off? Yeah. Oh yeah, it had it had its other side, of course. But we were too young to get crazy. Right. But we watched everybody else go crazy. <laughs> 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 and uh and then it had its, it had its, it had its downside which was a little heavy to deal with 
where you could go into a place in Vegas or someplace and you couldn't go into the into the room. You could perform on the stage, but you couldn't go out into the room or go into the hotel. Yeah. It was a prejudice kind of thing going yeah. on. That was terrible. That, I mean, that yeah, must have been awful. stay in the area. You know, yeah, back in the fifties, it was very uh, attitudes to to racial divide were very Neanderthal, weren't they? And um, thank heavens we've moved on from then. But um, there was a, a venue in Los Angeles that that changed, uh, sorry, Las Vegas that changed all that, wasn't there? The Moulin Rouge. Tell me about that. The Moulin Rouge. Yep, that was one of the changes. Uh, now this is nineteen fifty-five, isn't it? Nineteen fifty-five. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was uh, that was a great move. I, uh, at that time, I was with Motown at that time. Right. You know, in, in that area. But I'm just saying, the watch the changes go down was a very, was a very uplifting thing. It, it, it also kind of launched the way for some of the stations to play Motown music. Uh-huh. Another company. And as, as black music started to get more airplay on mainstream radio, the Motown label really started to take off. Here's a track you wrote along with Barrett Strong for Eddie Holland. This is called Jamie. Ah, there's the Marvelettes with another of your compositions, Beachwood 45789. So mainstream radio uh, play certainly brought you to a wider audience. You know, it kind of broadened the scope. Other than that, you were stuck with, you know, uh, radio stations that would only play, uh, say, from 9 until 11 o'clock, and they'd pull your stuff off their radio. But when that change came in, and then it with, uh, in California and other places, and they considered the music and got more involved. Things start growing. Yeah, it was it was a great it was a great feeling. Yeah, because uh, for anybody who's not aware, the Moulin Rouge was a venue that was the first desegregated hotel uh, and casino. I mean, you could go there and see stars like uh, Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, yeah. and it, it's a, a real uh, in a time of deep segregation. It was a real time. It was like um, well, it was it was groundbreaking, wasn't it? Because you got people from all yeah. cultures, all colours coming together and just having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had uh, uh, Vegas came up with a pot spot uh, uh, that was interesting, and uh, yeah, started, it started breaking, the walls started coming down. Good, good. And that was a great thing. And so yeah, then, the was right. You went back to Detroit, and um, you had a chance meeting in a barber shop. Yeah. <laughs> now you got to understand when I was in Detroit before I got to Barry. When I went back home, I was uh, working with musicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, shall we say I had a little production company where I could uh, make a demo for you. Say you wanted to have a demo. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And you come by and I do your demo and 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 you sing your song and I put it together for you and give give you the demo. Now some of the stuff was terrible. Most <laughs> of the stuff was terrible. But uh, but I made a living with it. But every now and then, a guy would come in with a unique song, you know? Okay. And uh, and I, I was good to work with. So I learned from them as well as made a kind of a living. Well, then with the musicians that I used to cut your demo, um, I got into that because uh, working with the musicians, 
they would come to me sometime and say, man, can I get an advance on this demo I'm going to do with you? Right. And, uh, you know, I'm broke. And I said, well, get an advance. You just got paid. You know, this is, he said, well, yeah, but I had to pay for my drink and I had to pay for my, my sandwiches. And by the time I finished that, man, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't make no money. And, you know, they crying the blues. Yeah. And I said, uh, at one point I said to the guys, look, uh, let me, Oh, oh I, I didn't get all my money. He would say, "I said, well, let me go and talk to your boss at the club, at the at the uh, bar, and see if I can get your money for you." I said, "If you give me ten percent, I'll 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 go get it for you." Right. And he said, "Okay, man, go ahead." Of course, I go to the bar and I sit down with the owner of the club, and I said, "Listen, man, I mean, you put, the guy's here working like a big dog, and he's making very little money as it is. You're only here from nine until two in the morning." You know, you're closing down. You gotta gotta survive. Why would you charge him for a lunch or a sandwich or something like that? And um, you know, why wouldn't you just give him the food? Yeah. You got food here. You know, let that be part of you know, give him inspiration to want to play your play, do your place. And the guy said, "Yeah, but he's always late and all that." I said, "I tell you what, I'll make sure that he's on time and other musicians are here on time." And you see to it that they get at least a sandwich or something mm-hmm. on the halftime, you know, and, and, and everybody be straight. And you pay them what they earned in here. Yep. And he said, you can make sure they're here on time because they're very late. I say, I'll do that. I say, now, you give me 10% and I'll take care of it. Uh-huh. So he said, okay, you got it. Fantastic. So then I got the guys paid and I told the band, okay, now here's what I'm going to do for you. Now you guys give me 10%. And we're on. So <laughs> what happened was, to make the long story short, over a period of time, some of the musicians all over the city had the same problem. And they would come to me with their problem. Right. So Mickey straightened mine out, man. So, man, go see Mickey Stevenson. He'll work it out for you. So in the end, I had about four or five clubs that I had musicians and singers and bands in. All right. And sure enough, they know that you have to be on time. I said, I would tell the musicians and the singers. You can be lazy all you want to, but those people came in at a certain time. They got to get back home, go to sleep, get up and go to work. They come to see you. They, 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 there's some respect done here. So if you're going to do this gig, they're looking for you to be there on time when the show starts so they can leave. And uh, you got to you got to be just as respectful for them as they are coming to see you. Yeah. Gotta, you know, it takes two to make this thing work. So it worked out. So I had a nice thing going. Now, if you couldn't really play, I didn't want to be bothered with you because... The club is just having some sounds in the room. But if you could play and all that, and you weren't getting paid or you had a problem, I would work it out. Yeah. So I'm saying all that to say when I got with Barry uh, from the barbershop, uh-huh. we're sitting there having a, uh, getting our hair done, and um, uh, Benny Mullins, who was the owner of the shop, he would put people together and make conversations because he get want to keep you there so you don't want to leave so, so he can do your hair. <laughs> well, this barbershop was the place to plan. be, wasn't it? it <laughs> this barbershop was like the local watering hole. This is with the place to hang exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You got it absolutely right. And you ended up in the next the chair artist. to Barry Gordon. <laughs> yep, yeah, right. And I've been one chair and Barry Gordon's in the other chair. And Benny introduced us. He said, Barry, you know that guy I was telling you about, that know all the musicians and everything? That's him. This is Mickey Stevenson. Uh-huh. And he said, Mickey, you know, Barry is the one that's working with Smokey Robinson. I mean, with uh, uh, Jackie Wilson, yeah. your favorite artist. Wow. I said, oh, man. So I told Barry, I said, look, man, uh, uh, when are you going to see Jackie Wilson again? He said, I'm going up there next week. I've got to finish an album on it. I said, well, i got a couple of songs. Can I play them for you? 
He said, no, we've already got the stuff picked out. <laughs> he said, but I heard about you, and uh, we got to get together and talk. He says, uh, when I come back, I'm going to start my own line. Yeah. And I said, what? He said, yeah, and uh, we can get together. So right there, though, I'm thinking to myself, oh, boy, I can be on the label. If he can make Jackie Wilson hot, he can make me hot. So yeah. I'm already planning on <laughs> I will be an artist on this new label. <laughs> so of course he left. Yeah. And about a month and a half or two later, he got back, called me, and he said, uh, now, you, you, "I heard about your songs and everything while I was in Chicago." He said, uh, uh, "Bring some of your songs and let's have a meeting." So right away, I'm I'm hyped up. I say, "This is it. This is it. I'm gonna be a star. I'm gonna be a, not, the next Jackie Wilson." So I went over to his apartment, terrible apartment. No piano, <laughs> great falling walls. I mean, the windows, the you know, yeah. curtains, half curtains in the window, and it's terrible. I'm saying to myself, this guy got hit tunes on Jack, and he's living like this. What's going on? So he said, "Come on in." He's on the phone, of course. Come on in. Come on in. He said, "Now, uh, okay, Mickey, uh, uh, let me hear your songs." And I'm looking around. He don't have no piano in here. He said, "What does that got to do with it?" <laughs> let me hear your songs. So I said, "Okay." That was like a challenge to me. Yeah. Right? So I opened my briefcase. I started singing my songs. Sing one. By, by the time I got to the fourth song, he said, hold it. You, you got some pretty good stuff there. He said, what's the one that's one of the real, what's one of the real best ones that you holding back? Right. I said, well, since you, uh, since you want to know, I got the one I think should, you're going to love this line. I said, I got the one I think should be our first record on me. Right. <laughs> He Confidence, said, that's good. He said, okay, let me hear it. So I sang it to him. He said, man, that's a good that's a good song. I say, see, now let me show you what my follow-up is going to be. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're getting carried away. He said, now, uh, uh, your songs are good. I said, well, I'll I, I come to be an artist. He said, I'm signing you as an artist? He said, ah, oh, that's, that's not the idea. He said, your songs are good, but your voice is pretty shit. <laughs> Charming. <laughs> Oh, you know, I'm mad. So I started picking my songs up off the floor. I had them all laying. I said, look, I don't need this. I grabbed my stuff and I put it in my bag again. I'm heading out. He said, where are you going? I said, I don't need, I don't need to hear this from you. And I'm still looking at his place. I'm kind of discouraged and then mad. He said, wait a minute. If you're going to be the A&R man for the company, we got to be honest with each other. Wow. I said, A&R man, honest. What, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, I, I want you to you know, be the A&R man for the, for the record company. I'm sorry. I said, what is the A&R man? He said, well, he didn't really know totally either. He said, well, that's, you know, anyway, you're going to handle the artists and the musicians and stuff like that, like you do right now. And I said, oh, man, I, you know, so I'm, I'm heading out the door. He said, where are you going? I said, man, I, ain't, I don't know about no A&R and all that. And I'm walking away, see? And when I'm walking away, I'm thinking, I remember my, mom, my mother said to me, she said, listen, if you want to try something that you believe in, you got to put some energy and time in it mm. or it don't work. It's all, only, only, in, uh, only a dream in your head. Yeah. you got to start working with it. So I stopped, turned around, I said, okay, uh, 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 who would I be reporting to? What's going on? He said, you don't talk to nobody but me, you and me. Wow. What an opportunity. Yeah, and I said, well, how much you paying? He said, $5 a day. I said, $5 a day? Are you crazy? He said, and all the chili you can eat. <laughs> oh, sold. <laughs> sold to the man in the big hat. 
So, yeah, the jury knocked it out. (laughs) Wow, you weren't expecting that, but you certainly filled the role discovering artists, musicians and songwriters capable of producing gems like this. I say, when do I start? He say, you already started. So he was confident that I was going to make, make this move. And, uh, and just as he said that, Smokey Robinson coming down the hall. Right. And he's walking up and he said, hey, Mickey, we know each other from uh-huh. high school. Right? He said, hey, Mickey. He said, Barry, what is he doing here? He said, well, he's going to be, be our, uh, the A&R man for the company. He said, oh, man, that's crazy. He said, Mickey knows all the musicians and everything. Mm. And he said, he said, I got a se-. He turned to me and started talking to me. He didn't even stop talking to Barry. He said, man, I got a session I'm doing tomorrow night, and I, I, need, I need a good drummer. Cause I said, hold it. I got this. <laughs> Where at tomorrow? He told me. I said, I'm going. So Barry said, you got it. I said, I got this. And Barry looked at Smokey. And Smokey said, if he say he got it, PG, he got it. Fantastic. <laughs> and and so- that's how we started, with yeah. a handshake and on those kind of words. Brilliant. And, and you got complete control to do whatever you wanted and complete faith from Barry Gordy well, that you were going to do the right thing. I mean, that must have been wonderful because um, it must have been so exciting as well. Because when you think that at the time, Motan, it was a fledgling label. It had got no money. Um, and so, uh, I mean, you were in the thick of, um, well, the, the poor area of Detroit, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Right. We had no, we had no money five dollars a day. I mean, uh, uh, Ray Norma, that was Barry's girl at the time, uh-huh. she would make big pots of chili <laughs> and that's what we ate and we take a break and everybody go and the chili was very good <laughs> <laughs> and every now and then with the blessings of the good lord they throw some meat in there you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so that uh, uh, but y- nobody was uh everybody was one we were like one you know one 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 family group yeah. you know Lovely. Well, I mean, you do you do so often find that with a, a small team, especially when they're energised and um, yeah, and motivated. And there you were with Smokey Robinson, Brian and Eddie Holland, Lamont Dozier, Janie Bradford. Bless her, she's lovely. No, Norman Whitfield, Barrett Strong. Uh, no, no, they weren't there. They came later as oh, we right. as we grew. Yeah, it was, it was just you know, Brian was there and myself and uh, there was other guys that we were working. We had an artist by the name of. Uh, Oh, what's his name? What, Marv, uh, Marv Johnson? Marv Johnson, right. Very good. Yeah, very I met him a few Marv years ago. Marv Johnson. Well, many years ago. <laughs> yeah, you met, did you ever meet uh, Marv uh, Yeah, I met him in 1990. He was performing in, in uh, England. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's lo- long since yeah. passed, though, hasn't he? Bless him. Shall we just have a, a listen to a bit of early Motown then from Marv Johnson? This from 1959 is a tune called Come To Me. That's so, so we grew to the rest and uh, of, of the artists. And, and, and what happened was Barry, and I say this to people when I talk about him, that they say, well, man, if you did all these things over there, well, well, you know, uh, how did you, how did you get along with Barry? I said, he gave me the authority to do whatever I thought would work because you see, and the places that I've been, I went to before I got to him mm-hmm. And I was telling him about, you know, the basses and the bands and the lights and the sound. That was all amazing to him because we didn't have any of that in Detroit. That was just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't happening. So for me to know that, 
he would say, man, well, okay, when we, we do a show, man, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put that in there. <laughs> you know, so it went like that with us. And I would tell everybody, this is the kind of guy that once he went with you, his gift in my mind's eye was the ability to pick the right people to do the right thing. Yeah. That's another gift altogether different. You follow what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, a manager is only as successful as his team. That's right. I mean, really, when you look at it objectively, what Motown were doing in the 1950s and 1960s is like the uh, American business model of the 80s and 90s. All your team building and um, theory-wide management, letting people do as they, you know, let them them be creative. Did you ever have have any disagreements with Barry? I mean, for him to give you um, his uh, sort of... Um, complete trust and um, free reign to do what you want. Surely, how did, how did he manage? How did he handle sometimes when you disagreed it? Uh, when he had disagreements, if he didn't see eye to eye. Well, we, well, we had we had, we had we had a few disagreements, and I made some mistakes. But our deal was this: first of all, he's the only one that could correct me. Nobody yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. I don't care what part, department you're in. Stay out, stay out of the business. Just do what you do. <laughs> okay, now. We would our agreement would be based on bets. On we would bets, bet anywhere between two two hundred dollars to two thousand dollars. <laughs> right. As we got better, we would bet more money. Okay. The bet would be this: if I said this was great, and he said it was not, all right, we put the money up, and now we get a person or or whatever it would take to show us the difference. Right. For instance, uh, we did a song on the four top. Mm-hmm. And I did a song on the four tops, and somebody else did a song on the four tops. Now I think this one, this one is better. He thinks that one is better. We make the bet because none of them's going to go out till we're sure. That's what that was what was good about this company. Right. Nothing would go until we absolutely believe that that is it. Wow. All right. So in the meantime, we got these two songs, and sometimes it'd be three or four. But down, so let's deal down with two. Now, okay, how are we going to prove it? Put the money up first. And I wouldn't put my money in everybody's hand. I put my money in somebody's hand like Smokey. <laughs> you may want to be on his side. And since he's the president of the company, that didn't work. Smokey wasn't on nobody's side. Uh-huh. He was on the winning side. Oh, so right. that was going to be right. <laughs> <laughs> so we put our money in his hand. Now, he said, well, how are we going to prove it? All right. I'd get about 20 students out of school. Bring them over to the studio. Put them in the room. Buy them pizzas, sodas, whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Then I have about 10 different records. And I just play all these records while they listen and slip in the ones that we want to find out how they feel about those. Right. And we play. I be feeding them and we play. And that's well, how'd you like this? Yeah, well, would, would you give up that piece of pizza for that tune? No. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. How'd you like this? Would you give her that pizza for that tune? Oh, yeah, that's great. Who is that? Never mind who's that. That's the song you like. We put it aside. <laughs> break down. Maybe now we got about three songs, or four songs left. Now we break down. Now we may have the four top two tunes in there. Now we break it down. Eventually, the audience or these innocent. I'm not talking about uh, people who are in the music business. I'm yeah. talking about people who like. Yeah. yeah. They would eventually say, "I like that song right there, number one, and I like that one right there, number two. And one of the songs you wrote that went through that selection process went on to be a monster hit for the Velvetettes. And if I win, I'd reach over to smoke and give me my money. <laughs> so we took that premise and we used it in a bigger way every time we were unsure 
of what would be the record or what would be the song. Yeah. You with me? Yeah. And now it got to the point that uh, we had a team that would come in and we'd pick out who. And then we'd, sometimes we'd deal with it with certain certain areas in Detroit on the radio or certain. Uh, and back in the day, to get R&B and product like that in certain areas, there were record shops all up and down the street. Yeah. You could hear the songs playing. You know what I mean? That was the way they were promoted. Uh-huh. Yep. We'd even use that as well. Somebody would put a song and let the guy play it out over his loudspeaker, and I, and we'd come back and say, "What happened, man?" About five, six people came in to buy that record. Good. You know, I said, "Okay, great." So we used whatever methods yeah. we could as things would grow to find out what's right. Now, in this process, the writers, the producers, they're getting better and better, and they're learning and they're working together. And that was another ball game that was happening. We were competitive, but we were with each other. Well, because you also you you encouraged. I mean, you 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 matched up the writers and the, and the producers and uh, encouraged like personal development, didn't you? People learned off each other. Yeah, that's yeah, that's their exactly. strength is exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was a whole another ball game, and that worked. And you know, I, and and I, I I put it all. I'm, I'm sure you saw some of that in the book mm-hmm. that I, that I wrote. That that was that was the way. We, and, and I'm not saying who's great, who's not great, and all that kind of stuff. All I'm saying is it was a blessing that the ones that came into Motown, including the artists, mm-hmm. and they had these, these gifts, that we were able to uh, work on these gifts and make them better. Yeah. And that, you got you to do that with love. You can't yeah. do that with being mad, angry, jealous, envy. It don't work. Yep, that's right. Um, it worked. Go ahead. I mean, I mean, and I, um, I mean, as Motown started picking up, as it started gaining momentum, you must have had so much talent trying to um, trying to join the group. Um, I mean, not not just the artists that were being attracted and they wanted to be singers, but also the songwriters and and producers. It must have been a full time HR job batting these people off or sifting them through, because they can't all have been good. I mean, I, 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 only oh, no. a few of them were. True. <laughs> that was terrible. You know what I mean? It was like it was like you're watching American Idol. <laughs> At one point, I was auditioning like 25, 30 people every three days. Wow! Listen, and, and it got to the point that I mean, I would hate to even go to the uh, upstairs. So I would go in my room and look out the window and see people coming for an audition, and I would be like, "Oh God, I got to go through this again." <laughs> and out of uh, maybe 30, 40 people, none of them. I mean, they were terrible. Now you got to watch how you handle that. Yeah, people take this entertainment very serious, especially oh, yeah. when they're young. And and I didn't know how to handle it in the beginning, so I made a lot of mistakes. You know, I would say to the person, "What was that? Who told you you could write a song? That's terrible." You know, get out of my office. Next. Yeah, well, that did work. No, you got to <laughs> let them down gently, haven't you? Let them down gently. I learned to nicely say, "Well." You need a little more work, and I would find the kind of ways yeah. to let them know that we we, we can't use this. And then, uh, but but here's what's wonderful: after going through that for about maybe thirty, forty people, somebody walk in, and the moment they start singing, you say, "Wow, mm. what a gift!" And then now they may not know all the tricks and what to do, but they had they want to learn, they want to listen, they want to know. That's great. Some would walk in and be very good at a song, at writing or whatever, very talented, 
but they had egos and attitudes ah, right. and, and all that. Now you gotta, you gotta make a decision. Sometimes I would say, I'm going to try working with this person because they definitely have the gift. No question about uh-huh. that. But are they going to listen? You know what I mean? Are they going to help me help them develop that gift? Mm. Well, so when you put that together over a period of time, I learned how to handle it better. Okay. And the artist that took it on became great. Those who didn't only went so far. And not, back again, not that I'm some genius or they were so great. Let's just say the timing and, the, and everybody had the right thing in their head. They wanted to be. When you don't want to really be something, you think you already got it before you get there. That's a whole other ballgame. Yeah. It's hard to deal with that yeah. person. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. One of your many successful songwriting partnerships was with Ivy Joe Hunter. Here's a great track you wrote for the Marvelettes. Stevie Wonder there with another Motown anthem from the pen of Mickey Stevenson, who is my studio guest this evening. One young lady who was rather persistent in wanting to uh, to perform for Motown was Martha Reeves. <laughs> Tell me how that yep. came about. <laughs> Martha was absolutely persistent. Martha would come. She came to the audition, of course. Yeah, and uh, and she would, and of course I. At that, by the time Martha wanted, when Martha wanted to be with the company, we just had too many girls. I was yeah. done with signing female artists, and so I would find nice ways of telling her, "Well, let, let's talk about it next week," something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but Martha wasn't buying nothing. <laughs> she was determined to be on this label. Now, what, I come in my office one day. Now Martha had worked her way past my assistant my secretary and all that she got to know everybody because she was always around (laughs) at any rate i walk in my office and martha's on my telephone and i'm saying what's what are you doing and she was answering the phone and she was looking at me and put put a finger uh, finger up like just a moment to me (laughs) she got to get this information so she wrote the information down and she and before I could say something to you, she says, This person called and said such and such and so and so and this person called me, but this one right here said you gotta to get in touch with him right away because of and I'm saying, Oh yeah, okay, get him on the phone. So she did that and uh, the conversation went great and the person on the other end said how great my new assistant secretary was right. and, all that, and blah blah blah. And we hung up. So I looked at Martha, I said, Martha, I tell you what, I'm not gonna sign you as an artist right now. I'm just, you know, I'm up to my neck. Yeah. I say, but I will take you on as a secretary because my girl is leaving and uh, you can take her spot because she did a great job on the phone. Yeah. So Martha said, she looked at me and she said, I'm not going to be your secretary. I'll be your assistant. All right. <laughs> I, said, I said, okay, call it what you like. I said, now here's the deal. I said, now I'm, you can you in from nine to five. First, she said, "What time you leave?" I said, "I don't do, I don't leave. I may be here till one o'clock in the morning." I said, "Cause when I finish with this this business part, I'm in the creative end down there, so yeah. I don't, you know. But you can leave at by six. She says, "I'll leave when you leave." Wow. I said, Martha, I, I don't think you know what you're talking about. She says, "I, I see you guys when you're coming in out of late at night and all that. I'll leave when you leave." And 
I said, are you looking for me to pay you some overtime money on it? She says, no, I'll be your assistant. I said, I ain't paying no overtime. So don't, don't get it twisted. She says, I'll leave when you leave. <laughs> and sure enough, man, she would stay there as long as, a matter of fact, I would say, Bother, I'm leaving. Let's lock the door up there. <laughs> upstairs, the downstairs. And she would not go. Now, it, it paid off for her. Yes. Because it's Marvin Gaye, Ivy Joe, and I, we're doing this song for Kim Weston. Mm-hmm. We, 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 were, we finished the, the track, got it down, and now we got the, the lyrics. We're working out all the details in the song. And so Marvin said to me, okay, man, now, you know, this song's got a, a happy overtone about it. I said, I know. He said, you thinking what I'm thinking? I said, yeah, I got to get Kim West because she's got this, such a heavy, strong voice. Right. And that's not the concept we want for this song. So let me... Uh, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I said, I got, I got a great idea. I'll make a demo like we want it, and then she can learn from the demo. Uh-huh. He said, well, who are you going to get to sing it? I said, you're going to love this. I got my assistant up there who's driving me crazy to do some <laughs> recording, so here I can kill two birds with one stone. Yep. I'd have her sing the demo, and then she can stay off my back for a while. <laughs> and <laughs> he said, oh, man, where you are? That's a good idea. So I hollered, Martha! Come down here. We want you to do a demo. So bam, 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 bam. She come right down. I said, now here, here's the song. I sang some of it. Marvin sang some of it. We've got it down. Ivy Joe's sitting there. So she goes out in the studio, puts the track on. She sings it halfway, then she stops. She says, okay, I'm ready. So she sang the tune. Yeah. And when she finished, now Ivy Joe, he, he made a vow. When I, and I'll tell you about him, how he got there in a minute. But then when I signed him as a writer. Uh-huh. But Ivy Joe said that he would not cut his hair until he had a number one record. Right. All right. This is Ivy Joe Hunter. Now you can imagine, so you can imagine what he looked like after about a year and a half. Uh, right. <laughs> no, he wouldn't comb it and wouldn't cut it. He looked like a, 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 a pigony Aphrodite. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so he, he's sitting there looking at me. And we all looking at each other, like, did you hear that? And I said, oh, my goodness. So Ivy Joe say, man, I can get a haircut and everything. I said, hold on, Ivy Joe, come on. Let's say, wait a minute. You know, this is a Kim Weston song. So Marvin said, well, what you going to do? You know, your word is your bond. You say the best tune goes on the best person. You don't care who don't like it. That's your rule around here. Now, what you going to do? I said, okay, uh, I'm going to take this demo. And Kim Weston was my girlfriend. At the time. Yeah. I said, okay. I said I'm going to take this home, and I'll tell you about it when I come back tomorrow. So I'm leaving. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning, now maybe a little bit later. I get home, and uh, Kim is there. She's asleep, of course. Mm-hmm. So I go to the jukebox, put the record on, press it, wake her up. I say, I want you to listen to this song because uh, I think I'm going to record WN on this right here. So she listened half sleep. She said, oh, "That's okay." I, I, I said, "You like to say it's all right." I said, "Well, don't worry about it. I'll get you another one." <laughs> so I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I took it off. Coming to the studio that morning, Ivy and Marvin Gaye waiting on me. What happened? I looked at Ivy Joe. I said, "You go get a haircut." <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So of course we put the song on Martha because she was really great. Yeah, and the record and, we're talking uh, about is "Dancing in the Street," isn't it?
Dancing in the Street became uh, Motown, a huge hit. Of course, Kim Blessing didn't speak to me for about two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) I got no love, no affection. Oh, no. Oh, dear. dear. How could you do that? I said, do we have a hit? He said, yeah. I said, that's the reason we're here? He said, yeah. He just walked away. <laughs> Fantastic. So you, you mentioned about um, Marvin Gaye. Tell me about working with Marvin Gaye because he really was a master of his craft, wasn't he? Yes, Marvin. Barry brought Marvin to me. Uh, and to make that clear, his Marvin was actually on Barry's sister label. Oh, right. His sister had a, had a record company. And Marvin and Harvey Fuqua, mm-hmm. who was... Uh, who brought Marvin to to be Harvey was what his position was A and R for her label like I was for Barry. Yeah. All right. And uh, he brought Marvin with him. Mar- Harvey was with the Moonglows. That was the same group. It was really hot at one point. Mm-hmm. And but the songs went down, down, down. So Harvey decided he'd get into the A and R business and got with Ann and it helped him out. But anyway, the bottom line is that label wasn't happening. We growing, they're not growing. So Barry decided he'd absorb the label and, you know, make it all one situation. Mm-hmm. So he's knocking on my door in my office and he said, uh, William R. Now, uh, I want you to give me a hit on this guy right here. And I looked at him and I said, can I speak to you for a minute, BG? He said, yes. I put him outside. I said, hey, man, this guy's a jazz singer. Jazz, we don't, less than 12% of the market. Mm. What are we going to do with him? He said, I didn't say make no jazz yet. I said, I want a hit. Yeah. Now you say, you know, to say you can do anything, prove it. I say, how much, how much was the bet? He say 500. I said, no, 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 2000 on this one. Crumbs. He said, okay, 2000. So we put the money up, smoke the whole, all money. So I said, now Marvin, I heard it. I had to go study his, his work. I listened to all this jazz stuff and all that. I found out he was playing the drums on some of those tunes. Yeah, yeah. And then and I heard him. He did a couple of original songs that he wrote in the jazz vein. Songs were nothing, but his sound and his approach was great. So I said, okay, I got to go at this a different way. I'm thinking about winning my $2,000. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> so I said, Marvin, uh uh, man, I see you write songs too. I say, let's write some songs together. He say, he's now, he say, man, I come here to do jazz. I hope to say, no, you know, you're going, I said, don't worry about the jazz right now. Let's get to know each other. If I'm going to produce you, let me get to know who you, what you, who, you know, what's in your head. And you want to know what's in my head. So let's, let's work out a few things together. He said, okay, man, I heard some of your stuff. You, 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 you're pretty good writer. I said, yeah. I said, so, so are you. So now if we put our heads together, mm-hmm. we'll write some good tunes for the rest of the artists. So he said, okay. So we start writing songs, and uh, and every now and then when I, I write a line to a tune, he would get kind of jazzed and I'd say, ah, 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 we can't do it for this kind of song now. You got to stay in the pocket. Hmm. You got to stay spiritual, gospel, or in R and B. You know, if I said, baby, why don't you? I, you can't say, baby, why don't you? I said, that don't work like that. Yeah. you got to stay in the same feeling I'm in. He'd say, okay, okay, okay. So we start doing that. So we go over to write. He said each song was plus different artists. I tell him. And and we get on do one for a while, then we stop and get to the next act because we kind of hit a wall. So what I did was I taped everything mm-hmm. because we that's the way we can keep up with it. And when I got down to the finish line of one song, 
I clipped all my verses out all right. and tied all his together. Now, in those days, you had to do it with a razor blade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I put it all together. So he came in the office. Uh, after 6 o'clock, that's when I started writing because during the daytime, I was um, with the studio with the yeah. musicians and all that. And we write to 6 till about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. At any rate, he come in and said, you ready to go to work? I said, yeah. I said, before we do that, I got this tune we're doing on the contours or whatever. I said, uh, take a listen to this and see what the sound's finished. So I pressed the button, and he heard himself singing each verse together. Mm-hmm. Soulful. And he said, oh, man, that's me. I said, yeah. And you sound pretty good. I said, I got this idea. I said, you can save me a lot of trouble. Why don't, instead of giving this tune to them, why don't you record this song right here? And if whatever's wrong with it, we can fix it in the studio, me and you, because we know how we wrote it. Yeah. So he said, okay. Uh, he said, now, man, does this eliminate my jazz thing? I said, no, 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 no. You give me a record, and I get Barry off my back, and now we'll start it on your jazz album. Because he knew I did jazz before I got to Motown. He knew all about yeah. me. So he said, okay, okay. So we go to the studio, and we do Stubborn Kind of Fella. Cause it was a great record, but I, so I go to Barry when it's finished. I walked up to him. And I said, "Okay, give my money." <laughs> said, "Give your money?" I said, "Yeah." You lost that bet. He said, "What?" I said, "I put the, the CD in his hand." Yeah. He, he immediately went to his office, went upstairs, come back downstairs. He said, "Oh man, <laughs> oh you okay? You you got you got that bet? You got that bet?" He said, "Now what happens after it takes off?" I said, "What do you mean?" He said, well, you're going to have to have a follow-up. Yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, God, you're right, you're right. <laughs> and the follow-up came in the form of Hitchhike. That's next. <laughs> sure enough, Rex started taking off. I said, now, we working on some other stuff. I said, Marvin, I got a problem, man. <laughs> You see your records taking off. I said, now, the sales department need the backup. They got to get. I said, why don't we just knock out an album, put two or three songs in there, and let's get this out the way. He said, what about my jazz? I said, man, by the time we finish this, and we'll, they'll be, it'll take them almost a year to get that album out the way. We can get started in your jazz album. Right. He said, William, are you pulling the fast one? <laughs> I said, No. <laughs> <laughs> By this time, we real friends. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. hot nights at my house and all that kind of stuff. I say, but it was just turning down no money. You're making some money. You got to be going through no change. Get out of my pants and my shirt and buy your own stuff. <laughs> so he said, he got, we, we got into it. We did, went right down the line doing a song. Well, after he got kind of hot by the second release, we did Stubborn Kind of uh, yeah. Fella. Then we did Hitchhike or, or uh-huh. Pride, one of those two. Uh, and he could see himself happening. And uh, he came to me and he said, uh, now look, I'm not letting you off the hook for my jazz album, so don't get carried away. But I really want to appreciate where you took me. I mean, and he said it with, I mean, to- totally sincerity. And I said, and I'm going to do the jazz album. I, he, I said, but you're going to be one of the hottest R&B artists in the world. Yeah. 
he just and he just stood there and he gave me a huge hug, and uh, and that was and that was just the way it took off. And Brent. sure enough, I eventually did the jazz album. All oh, right, but then, you know what I mean. <laughs> but but Marvin Marvin's success story was only one of many at Motown, wasn't it? I mean, you, you produced so many great artists and household names. Did you? Um, oh, yeah. uh, what, what was was there a healthy competition between the groups? I mean, uh, uh, I don't want to say jealousy, but um, w- was there a competitive edge between them? The Four Tops and the Temptations <laughs> going head to head, perhaps? Yeah, it was, it was healthy. It was healthy because. Well, I, oh, I, oh, you're gonna love this bit. When I when I finished, uh, remember I told you I was uh, uh, the four tops that started to walk up when I was. Yes, they were known as the four aims. Four aims, yep. Four aims. I'm doing a jazz. A very, of course, he never lost it. Never got rid of this jazz idea. <laughs> later on, he said to me, "Okay, man, we got to start a jazz late." I said, "Come on, BG, man." <laughs> we're back to that again. He said, "Look." We got to cover ourselves in the record business. So I need a jazz label. So you go get some jazz musicians and the jazz artists, and let's start the jazz line. And I, I'm about to say something. He said, Hold it, William Mark. Who company is this? Yours or mine? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go like that. <laughs> I said, You're the boss. You're the boss. Okay, okay, okay. We get some jazz. So, bottom line is, I'm in New York cutting some jazz artists, and I'm going crazy because they stop and go through a lot of change, and you couldn't sign them as an individual to that line because they would play play a jazz album with you and then it, then the saxophone player they play with another jazz artist on another label they were all over the place yeah you couldn't i couldn't see myself building something you know what i mean yeah and i'm getting discouraged with that idea so i decided i'd get a woman a girl like a nancy wilson oh yeah and make her our jazz label and then build things around her you got it yeah so i'm i'm sitting in the in a club in new york thinking about how to handle this and billy Eckstein is performing mm-hmm. and he had four guys singing with him they happened to be the four the four tops yeah. but they were known to me as the four, four aims so i never paid any attention to the four tops name on the building when i went in right. i went to see billy Eckstein and relax they came on and opened up and man it just blew me away yeah i said oh these are the guys that i fell in love with back in the day in detroit and now they sing with Billy Axstein. And they were singing the jazz and all that. And so soon it was over, I called him over to the table. I say, man, you guys are the reason that I got this job I'm doing in Detroit. I say, so now I'm going to return the favor. And I want you guys to come back to Detroit, sign with me, and I'll make you stars. And they looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they said, what are you talking about? I say, I'm with Motown and blah, 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 blah. And I'm the NR director, and I signed the act and all that. They said, wait a minute, man, but we jazz singers. I said, you're not jazz singers. You are singers. You just also sing jazz. And they looked at each other. They looked at me. And I said, before you go any further, let me sing the song that I heard you sing years ago at the Apollo when you won the contest. They said, you were there? I said, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-
as I was walking out the door, I turned around and I started singing again. Do 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 da do da da. They started singing, going to the dressing room. Do 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 da do da. Wow! It was so funny. And sure enough, when they got home, they came to my office, knocked on the door, and, and my uh, Martha was at the time. They opened, they came in, and they said, "William R." They walked up to me and said, "We want to talk about that deal you offered us." Right. I didn't say nothing. I reached in my drawer because I kept all contacts in my drawer. You know, a whole stack of them. Uh-huh. I opened my drawer, pulled out four contracts, gave them to them. I said, y'all read those over and bring them back when you, you know, ready to sign. And they said, read them over. I said, yes. I'm going to tell you right now before you walk out the door, I'm not changing nothing. <laughs> it's going to be just like it is. But I, I guarantee you, I'll make you stars. Yeah. They say, how are you going to do that? I said, because I'll get every producer in here to put some product on you. And these guys are great. One of them going to come up with a hit. And they looked at me, and they walked out the door. Ten minutes later, they knocking again. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I said, come in. They walked in, and Duke, who spoke for them, yeah. he looked at me. He said, give me a pen. <laughs> I gave him a pen. They started signing right there on the spot. Then Duke dropped all four of them on the table. Bam. They say we're holding you responsible <laughs> for what happens with us. <laughs> Fantastic. And they were definitely a great sign. I mean, one of the things about the Four Tops was uh, they looked so sharp when they were and synchronized oh. on stage. Uh, I mean, you put a lot of effort yeah. into choreography as well, didn't you? A lot of stock oh, in it. Yeah, you really yeah. raised the bar in the music industry for, for presentation. It wasn't just about the voice. It yeah. was the visual. Yes, yes. Well, that's the part that came in from being with... Uh, you know, uh, uh, Lionel Hampton and watching those great shows and Sammy and seeing lights and sound and combinations that don't work under lights, yeah. things that do work under lights. I learned all that not knowing that, that I would use it. You know, it was just in my head. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <coughs> and those movements were not by luck. I've been in, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. I see uh, a show. I got three, four acts in there. When I say I got meaning Motown, they were in different clubs, mm-hmm. and I'm watching them work, and I, uh, I'm i wore out, and I'm giving myself a break, because every time I see you at a show, I make my notes, and I go backstage and tell you what I think you need to fix, and then I go to the next you know, club and see the next act and give them a thing like that. And then, at any rate, I'm, uh, I'm kind of tired, so I just want to get away from everybody. And I walk into a club called the Cotton Club, I think it was called, right. in Atlantic City. And it was laid out like the real Cotton Club in New York, you know, with the white cloths and uh-huh. stuff. In the, and I'm in there relaxing. I say, ah, this is great. I'm sitting there to relax. All of a sudden, the show starts. They had a guy and eight, seven or eight girls come out with him. His name is Lon Fontaine. Right. And, he, and his girls look like the uh, Cotton Club dancer dancers. Man, his girls were hot, yeah. bodies were beautiful, and Lon <laughs> was dancing his ass off. Everything looked like, it looked like I was all of a sudden in another world with him. And I felt, oh, man, this is great. And the music was smoking. When it was over, I asked the owner, I said, who, 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 who did the choreography and all that? He said, the guy, the guy that's in the league. Because mm-hmm. it was all girls in him. <laughs> and I said, i like to talk to him. So he brought him over to me. And, uh, of course, he brought three of the girls with him. And they, they, they found out who I was. They sat down. So I started talking about everybody, some drinks. The girls were so fine. Mm-hmm. I thought I'd say, man, I got to have one of these girls. <laughs> I bought some, uh, some, uh, some <laughs> I bought for those drinks. You put a whole lot of drinks in one. 
um, you know, different rum and brandy and all in one glass. I forgot. I bought them. I, uh, anyway, I bought those girls for those on me and line some champagne so we can talk. Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, I said, Lon, your routines, your movements are incredible. And those, those outfits, I mean, you designed all that stuff? He said, yeah. I said, well, uh, man, I, we could use you in Detroit and, uh, with, with the company and work on some of the acts with this, this, these movements you got. And he said, uh, well, I'm here now and I'm doing this. I said, how much you make? He told me, I said, okay, I'll double that. Wow. He said, you'll double it. I said, yeah. I bet that got his he attention, said, didn't it? Oh, yeah, oh, big time. <laughs> <laughs> I said, and you can start right away. So the girls sit around and say, well, what kind of act y'all got on this Motown? I said, we got the Temptations. and the so You got the Temptations? She says, I say, what Temptations? She said, and the girls said to the other girls that they were talking to him, these tall, good-looking guys, and blah, blah, blah. Lion say, oh, they are? But <laughs> he said, uh, he said, can I take any of my girls with you? I say, I'll take some of them, too. <laughs> we do productions, they'll be in the show. He said, you, you, can you do this? I said, I told you I can do it. He said, okay. I said, hold it, before you leave, who did that music? He said, Gil Askey, the guy with the trumpet. Right. I said, would you send him over here? I want to talk to him, too. He said, okay. So Lon left. Gil came over. He sat down. He said, now, Gil stuttered. You know, like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got and a stomach. I, yeah. So I said, Gil, uh, hey, man, I, I'm Mickey Stevenson, blah, 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 blah. I told my wife, I said, man, your, your arrangements are incredible. What Gil had done, what I heard was, He'd take an R&B tune, but put a little jazz effect on it, but gave it great endings and segues into the next movement, oh, right. movement while the girls were dancing. Yeah. And I said, man, arrangements are really special. And uh, I said, where'd you get that? He said, well, I studied with Lillian Bollinger. I said, oh, the same people that Quincy studied with and all that. I said, oh, I see. Now I see how you got that all together. I said, man, we need you at Motown. He said, what's a Motown? So I had to give him the same story. Yeah, yeah. So every time I talk, he tried to say something. I said, you mind if I cut in and just get right to the point? Because he kept studying. He hold me up, you know. <laughs> he said, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So I explained to him what I wanted, what I thought he could do for us. And uh, he said, well, you know, I'm here. I said, how much you make? He told me. I said, I'll double it. Wow. And he said, you'll double it? I said, yeah. I said, plus, you'll get X amount of dollars for every arrangement you do for the group. He said, oh, okay, uh, I can't get there for two weeks because I got to go into the Apollo. I said, I'll call you there and make sure you have tickets from New York to, to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. He said, you can do that. I, he said, you won't be able to get me on the phone. I said, don't worry about that. I'll have you there. So him and Lon came in. Gil, I called him. I had him call him in New York backstage. And the guy said, hey, Gil, Mickey Stevenson want to talk to you. And, he, and I heard him say, you know Mickey Stevens? He said, yeah, man, everybody know Mickey Stevens. <laughs> like, <laughs> I said, Gil, your tickets will be at the airport, blah, 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 blah. Somebody will pick you up. And I got an apartment for you to look at. And come on in, and uh, you get your first paycheck in advance, because I know you're going to need the money. And he said, wow. Yeah. He hung up the phone. And sure enough, they came in. And, of course, uh, Gil's jazz background made him ideally suited to arrange and conduct Billy Eckstein's LP. There's fancy from Billy Eckstein. You were attracting some real talent, but of course, it costs money to get the best. Yeah, right. Now the finance department knocks them on my door. <laughs> They've mad. They <laughs> man, 
what are you doing? You're the A&R man. You are not Barry Gordy, and you are not talking to me. I said, what business have you got to do with that? And what is this all about? We see these vouchers for you because you're paying this guy this. This guy's a choreographer. You're paying this trumpet player, blah, blah, blah. I say, man, that's from my department. So yeah. whatever I do is none of your business. Yeah. You just fill it and send it in. Now he's mad. <laughs> so he does it. Then Barry knocks on my door about an hour later. And he comes in with the finance guy. He said, William R., come on, man. What, what's going on? I said, Barry, if it don't work, take it out of my money. Right. Whatever it is, whatever I got, including the airline tickets, take it from me. Okay? He said, you know what you're saying? I said, I know exactly what I'm saying. I said, but now if it does work, you're going to double it? <laughs> Another bet. Yeah, right. He said, let me, let me think about that. I said, in the meantime, can they go on and do what I got them here to do? He said, okay, okay, okay. Sure enough, he comes down to the studio. He hit this arrangement going on for the four tops. Right. What one of the Holland Dozier's tunes. And I got Gil Askey rearranging the tune. See, back in the day, to bring it up to, bring it up to you, most artists with a record, when they're on stage, instead of having an ending, they would fade out. Oh, now, right. the, artists, the audience don't know when to applaud or nothing. You no. know what I'm saying? Because that's the way the record sounded on the radio. They didn't have the, or they do the ba 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 yeah, stupid stuff. Now Gil Askey and Quentin them, they did ba 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 da ba 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 da. So back into the next song. Well, I wanted that kind of stuff for Motown. Mm -hmm. So Gil was doing that. Then so Barry Stan said, "Man, that was a great way. How do you go from from uh, Sugar Pie into that other song?" I said, "Well, I just made that segue." See, man, that guy's great. And he said, "Oh man." And so, and he's there. All of a sudden, Barry stand there while Gil said, "No, no, you, I want you to play." He hear him straighten out the musicians and all that. And uh, I, he said, "Man, that guy's really something." I said, "You ain't seen nothing. That's on our music. Wait till he creates on his own stuff." So he was standing. So I said, "And by the way, does that mean I get my two thousand dollars?" <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and now you're supposed to double that. He said, "I didn't say I was going to double shit." <laughs> I said, "Well, wait a minute. Like our normal bet." He said. I said, I, I, said, so I brought these guys in. He said, he looked at me and said, that's your job. <laughs> Excellent. That's, that's, <laughs> I couldn't say nothing about that. You know what I'm telling me? He paid me my money, but he said, that's your job. You're supposed to find them. That's what you're here for. <laughs> mm. Gil also arranged and conducted the Supremes live at the Copa LP. From the album, here's the live performance of Nothing But Heartaches. Right now we'd like to do for you our latest release, Nothing but heartaches. Uh, I was going to say, talking about your job at the Motown Studios, it was a real hive of industry, wasn't it? Wasn't the place open 24 hours a day? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. We, we, we didn't fool around. We didn't fool around. Now, you couldn't, nobody can get in but us, you know what I'm saying? At yeah. a certain point. Everybody, all the people in the city wanted to run by and uh, heard we were recording and they would go crazy. But we, we, we had to keep them out of that because yeah, we yeah. couldn't work. Everybody would be showing off for the audience. Uh -huh. I, didn't allow it. I wouldn't even allow if you had a, If you were singing and you had your girlfriend with you, I would tell her very nicely, okay, he's got an overdub. Do me a big favor. Why don't you sit out there in the, in the, in the lobby? Would you like a sandwich? Hey, get her a sandwich. Uh, get her, you know, yeah, yeah. whatever. But the bottom line is, 
no coming into the studio. Absolutely. Because what would happen is that the artist would now be performing for who's in front of them, uh-huh. as opposed to recording. And when the pr- producer wanted to correct something, he had to like how he said it, because if you said it the wrong way... Oh, they didn't want to lose face, would they? Yeah, yeah. see? So I ran into that problem. I didn't make this up. I saw it happen. I said, uh-oh, that ain't going to happen no more. So I tell all the artists, and I said, listen, when you come, bring your mates, your husbands, your boyfriends, girlfriends, they cannot come into the studio. And here is why. I don't want you put on a spot. Forget yeah. everybody else. Yeah. You know, you got to maintain your relationship, and this could be uncomfortable for you. So to keep all this from happening, let's keep them out. But I'll make them comfortable. So you got two choices. You let them know that, uh, and don't blame yourself. You can say, Mickey Stevenson, you know, he runs this show like an army over here, and he don't allow that. So why don't you wait outside mm-hmm. and make it easy on me? I say, you can say anything you want to. Just know that if they pass my wall, I'm going to not be a nice guy. Well, whatever you did, you obviously so, did it right because um, you managed to uh, be one of the first sort of uh, well, black labels to to hit uh, airplay on mainstream stations, and those mainstream hits didn't come much bigger than this. That must have been oh, yeah. that must have been fantastic. I mean, that's a proper achievement, especially when you think that uh, Detroit in America in the mid '60s was um, a real um, racially tense, oh. wasn't it? I mean, you got the Detroit oh. riots in '67. That was the. It was insane. Well, you know, you know, we had in a certain period of time while Motown was growing. We had Martin Luther King assassinated, Kennedy's yeah. assassinated, the yeah. other Kennedy assassinated, Malcolm X murdered. I mean, come on. We had uh, riots. We had schools closing down. We had dogs biting kids. All that was happening at in that whole period of time while we were making music. Yeah, but you weren't just making... And putting out love. Yeah, because it, it was, um, I mean... Motown Records was like uh, one of the first multiracial companies. You got blacks there, whites there, Jews, Arabs. I mean, oh, yeah. that was oh, really yeah. going against the great. It was really setting well a future standard. Yes, the way the world should be in the first place. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, that was it, and 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 I enjoy, and 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 for me personally, I was working round the clock, round the clock. Yeah, but and. And and everybody would say, man, you you keep going, and especially my family and other people. And I said, it's not work to me. It's only work the way you're looking at it mm. for me. Yeah. But for me, I could even use more time. When you enjoy what you do, it is not work. No, it's a passion, isn't it? It's a passion. Absolutely. So I tell all my sons and daughters and all the friends that I, and as I went through life here, when I meet people, they say, well, how'd you do this? Well, how'd you do that? I said, first off, if it's something that you really love to do, it's not a, it's no longer a job. Mm. It's a passion. Therefore, you not only will you do it, you will do it well. If you don't feel that's what you're about, find something else that you can do that will give you that feeling. And when you're young and you're at it, and, and you got to put in a certain amount of time to make it work. Oh, yeah. Get it straight. Eight hours to sleep, eight hours to work. Now, what are you doing with the other eight? Yeah. On the phones, on television, what are you doing with it? 
Okay, forget the eight. What are you doing in these four more of those hours? Yeah. Now, passionate people not only use the four, they'll use the whole eight and try to get into some of that 16. Mm-hmm. They cannot lose. Yeah. They cannot That's lose. Right. They must succeed. They'll either be good, great, or fantastic. Yeah. Naturals. Great, <laughs> those are great things to work with. You know what I'm saying? Good, yeah. great, or fantastic. As opposed to nothing, boredom, and tired. I mean, how do you put those two sentences, those two things in the same paper? Duh. So you gotta, you got to make a commitment. Of course. So, and that's what we had to do. So when I didn't see that in artists that came in, even though I worked with them and had Hollywood and everybody's doing stuff, when I saw I didn't see that, want to spend more time to be better, and I would tell them, I say, listen, let me get this, y'all get this part straight. I've seen the best in the world work. And all of those guys are really great, not by luck. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll leave the stage and go in and go into another rehearsal on something else. I'm talking about the Sammys and the, and the Deans and the, and the, and the band. They, yeah. they didn't fool around. They didn't fool around, but they loved it. That's going home and you're going in and, and you're going out to the party and that, oh, that's fine. You come back, you don't know the lyrics to your song. I would take the songs out of your hand. Yeah. If you had the paper in front of you, you couldn't do a session with me. Yeah. I'd walk up, take the paper off the hand, till you come out to see you, you take this paper, go in that room and learn those songs. That's right. How are you going to think and read and give me emotion at the same time? You're not that good. Yeah. You can tell when people aren't hungry for it, can't you? You only get half a performance. They've got, they've got to oh. feel it. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And so, that's what makes it great. Well, you had no such problem with the spinners. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 1967 came along and it was time to move on. And um, you went to um, California. <coughs> Yes. Yeah, I had, a, I had a deal with MGM. They offered me a deal. to. Uh, I, I left because I couldn't grow any more mm-hmm. at Motown for me. Uh, I wanted some of my own, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and Barry understood it. You know, he told me, you know, when I, when I left, he said, man, anything you need while you're out, uh, just call me. You got it. Yeah. And I said, well, they said, well, you know, I, I know... Uh, nobody's going to make you say nothing against this company. You're not like anybody else. This is, I say, this is going to always be my company. This is my family over here. Mm-hmm. But I got to do something for myself. I can feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in a, a standstill. You know, so he said, okay. You know, go. we left with a handshake, just like we came in. Great. And while at MGM, you put out a great track on your then wife, Kim Weston. This is I Got What You Need. But I came in and made a deal with MGM and uh, started another line. And they wanted to make a Motown. And I explained to Morton Aston, who was the president at the time, I said, look, man, you, that, that was a unique situation. I can give you another label, but to me to give you a Motown, you'd have to bring in Holland and Dozier's and the Whitfields and all that, those kind of people. And to hunt them down is going to take a long time. They don't just walk in the door. So uh, they said, no, we, 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 this is what we want. And so they, they made me a deal. So like a million dollar setup. Yeah. Um, 
But after a while, dealing with it, they weren't understanding what I was saying. Mm. They fancy offices and all that. They said, no, it don't work like that. It sounds like they just wanted some easy money and a, and a, a start-up formula, and get, they gave you uh, venture records, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, But then I found out that uh, the point was to raise more stock on their line because right. they closed the MGM to build the MGM Grand Hotel. Uh-huh. So that was a, I was a, I was, I had no idea about stocks and proxies and all that. No. I was in the music business, right? I learned that there was a whole nother ball game, a whole nother world going on out there. And I wasn't mad at them. I just said, ah, I have to watch that. And uh, so that's what, that's what it was really all about. Fortunately, they gave me uh, all the stuff that I had accumulated mm. music-wise and all that. The recording studio. Yeah. Oh, I got it all. Brilliant. And right now, I'm getting people call me, even from London. We got, you got uh, some, uh, they're doing a vinyl thing going on, and I got great stuff by the Funk Brothers and everybody. Right. right you know, thousands of songs. All right. Fully You'll be popular. Oh, yeah. Because Europe is absolutely <laughs> mad for uh, 60s and 70s soul, especially the unissued stuff. Absolutely mad well, for I it. Have, I, have, I have tons of it. Wonderful. I've been getting calls. I'm going to... And when we finish this, you and I got to talk. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, yeah. yes, you went to uh, you went to MGM, and um, you were writing and arranging scores for films. You got nominated for an Academy Award. Yes, yes, which is a whole new world for me. That whole thing. Yeah. And from there, yeah. were uh, Marty Pace, who was a wonderful guy, great arranger, and uh, he got me into sp- scoring for films and stuff. And I kept saying, but I don't, you know, he said, listen, once you learn the formula, it's the same music, same thing you've been doing. Yeah. You know, I said, okay. And then, uh, and I got into theater here, right. which was amazing. I went down to a place called Inner City Cultural Center. That's where they would have the uh, uh, minorities and Hispanics. They would be there like learning the, about. Underprivileged children. Part- Yes, yes. Right. And I watched them and I watched them struggle but I saw their hearts were so big wanting to learn. And the guy who was from Detroit had a he handled the uh, theater department. Mm-hmm. He said, Man, would you speak to the to the cast for a minute and uh, some of the students? And and they weren't just kids, they were grown ups and everything. It was just just that area for them to learn. Right. And I said, Yeah, okay, I'll 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 speak. So I went by and had a set of two words for them and they loved it. And he said, to, would you write a song for one of our shows? Right. And I said, Well, wait a minute. I you know, I do R and B and you know, radio music. I mean I'm not into they said, We just one song to, just one song to have in this play. So I said, Okay, let me see the play. And sure enough, they went through the whole nine yards. And I said, well, uh, okay, I'll put a song right there. I said, but you really need a song over here. You know, all of a sudden I found myself doing about three songs. (laughs) (laughs) And then, but I got to tell you something. I learned more from them than they learned from me. Wow. And then I watched those kids work and those adults. I I know that group now was Forrest Whitaker. Right. It was, uh, 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 about four or five known, they turned out to be great artists on their own right. Okay. Uh, uh, the, girl that, the girl that did uh, Josephine Baker. Uh, oh, I can't think of the, the mm. names right at the moment, but they were all in that same place learning. And um, uh, when I finished that one show for them, I got the bug. And the director said, man, you, you, you went about it so special. I said, well, I can't see you saying a whole line 
and then I got to write a song about the whole line. Either I write the song about the line, or let me uh, let me write about something else, and you do the line. That's, that's doing the same thing twice. Yeah. So he said, "Yeah, you're right. You're right." So I, I said, hey, "At any rate, I started writing myself, right? You know, Storyline, and then adding the music, and I end up doing four shows down there, and one." I won awards for the shows that I learned how to do from them. Wow. It was amazing. It was amazing. And to this very day, I'm doing plays and shows and stuff. But uh, it was amazing. And it goes to show you when you're open to choir and you really, really want to know, you know, the forces, in my opinion, it takes you in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. If you close your mind. And nothing's going to happen. No, absolutely. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned that you're still writing. You've actually got a show that's about to open in London, haven't you? In the UK. Tell me about that. Yeah, I have a show. I have a show called Les Gems, the Jewels. I took uh, uh, I took the Ed Margaret story, you know, when she had that fall, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, we're trying to, and was coming back into business. She she uh, hired audition, shall we say some of the girls that worked in her shows around the country right. when she was touring and brought them all into one place, auditioned them just right. It picked out nine of them. And now it's going to mount this production together. But what she didn't recognize is that each girl brought her problems and her ups and downs and her ins and outs as well. Right. So now you got to sort those things out and still bring them together as one powerful unit. So that's what the story is all about, the gyms and the striving, of, especially of women, the battle that they have overcoming some of the obstacles, and yet some of their talent is greater than the people they're talking to. You know what I mean? So uh, that's what the story is all Great. about. And, of when, course, they... they when when they, does that open? When does that open, please? Well, we, we're, we're working on it now, some of the people in, in, in London, because I'm going I'm to cast some of the girls there. They got the book. We're going back and forth over different points. Okay. Well, and, uh, if you keep me abreast of when it opens, I'll give it a push. Uh, I'll give it a push and see if we can promote it a little bit. Um, but oh, also, that'd be great. we're talking about uh, stage performances, Motown the Musical. Tell me about that because this is a venture that grossed over a one million dollars in its first week. Oh yeah, well it does about a million a week. I <laughs> went in. The, uh, I went into uh, London to see the show there. Yeah. Yes, when it when it opened up and uh, the cast was uh I saw the show of course in in uh, in uh, Broadway, mm-hmm. but uh, I wanted to see the London cast, and uh, they were better wow. than the American cast, and I was so shocked and I was so happy for them. When I went backstage, they saw me. They knew who I was. I didn't figure that out, and man, it was just a whole nother party back there in the back, and it was amazing. I, I know it's doing it's doing very very well in the UK because I think they're uh, the performing um, uh, well to sell out audiences and they're sold out at least a month in advance. I mean, this is an ongoing performance oh, yeah. in uh, London, Bristol, oh, yeah. and Manchester. So yeah, it's yeah, pulling it's them in. Great. And the guy that plays me, he was outdone. Oh man, he just uh, he said, "How did you do all that?" I said, this is very grace of God. That's how. <laughs> yeah. I said, this is like, you know, this, I'm not going to sit here and say, I came up with this magic. The Lord did this at a time for a reason. I just happened to be chosen to work with my part of it. Well, you did, but, but you've also been working 16 hours a day for most of your life. So, like I say, it's, it's practice, isn't it? And it's dedication, and it's commitment. So don't take anything well, yeah. away from yourself. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, once you commit, you go with it. Absolutely. And, uh, and but all but what's amazing is a lot of forces around you will try to pull you away. Oh yeah. And if you if you listen to these people or these situations, it'll pull you right out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you've had this happen. You had a great thing going, and you you're rolling, and the phone rang. Here comes some negative stuff on the phone. Now, if you sit there and make that conversation for ten fifteen minutes, you got to revamp yourself to get back into back where in you the zone. Yeah. When you, all you got to do is say, "I'll call you right back." And hang up. <laughs> That's it. You know what I'm saying? So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch the forces on the on the other side too, because it's there to pull you back, slow you down, cut you off. If you go with it, you lose time and everything. You gotta revamp. But you know that you know I'm, what I'm saying is true. It can come from anywhere, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it was only a couple, it, it was only a couple of years ago, and you all got together again, didn't you, for the Motown 45 reunion? That must have been great to see all the people that you'd not seen for years and years catch up with some old faces yeah i enjoyed that and it must have been great to hear some of your fantastic songs from such a long time ago i produced that show for television for abc oh right motown 45 oh yeah and uh, that was great. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. The fun seeing the Funk Brothers was one of my biggest yeah. joys. I mean, those guys. Oh, man. Can you imagine coming to the studio at, say, 7 o'clock and don't leave till 3 in the morning <laughs> wow. and waiting for each producer to come in? And you knew the producers so well, once they started into the song, you knew exactly where they were going. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a family love group right there. You with me? Yeah. The thing is, you, you start working or you, you start playing, and if you're in the groove, time just flies by, and all of a sudden, it's daylight again, isn't it? You're just <laughs> in the zone. Right. <laughs> you are so right. You look up, the daylight is coming. <laughs> you wonder, well, I've been here all this time, yes. You know what I mean? And here's a funny little thing. Once they hit a pocket and the song is over, but the pocket is so strong, yeah. they keep going. Right. And they can't stop. Now I go another three minutes, just just into it. Now out of that comes a whole other song. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh, oh, great, great stuff. days, great times. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, great days, great times. You cram such a lot into your life. And um, you've uh, actually put it all down in a book, haven't you? Tell me about uh, your uh, autobiography. Well, I call it the A&R Most uh-huh. times and in it, a lot of the things that we talked about now is there, and I got a little more detailed in. But uh, it is really, uh, by the way, I've had two offers to do it as a film. Oh, wow. Yeah, two offers. Uh, one was, I wasn't too excited about. The second one is a little better. They're going to give me a, a screenwriter to write. Mm-hmm. Because he said to me, you know, you've got a lot of back things behind for a screen. It would really be great. That's the, the headline is in the book, but the rest of it should be should be on screen. So I said, "You're right. I can't put everything in the book." So um, so they're, they're putting a writer with me, and we'll see if I can get along with the writer. Mm-hmm. And if I can, then I'll uh, do the screenplay. But it's uh, exciting. Everybody, every time someone reads it, they would call, uh, email me, or text me, or Facebook me, and say, "Man, I couldn't put it down." Yeah. 
I, I just could not put this book down when I started reading. It's a great That's read. A great it's a great read, especially yeah, when you've got such an interest in uh, in the music itself and and the scene. I mean, Motown's been part of my life since I was a teenager. Um, we were brought up on it, and um, it's it's great just to to talk about the or to learn about the behind the scenes and uh, all, all the effort had that had to go in to um, to making those just three short minutes of magical music. It's it's brilliant. So, yes, I can heartily recommend Motown's first A&R Man, published in 2015. So, Mickey, where can people buy it? Well, they can get it on Amazon. Right. Or you can go to my website, and you can get it there and and download uh, 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 there or get the hard copy. StevensonIntelEnt.com. That's StevensonIntelEnt.com. Mickey, I'd just like to say thank you very much for spending time with us here on uh, Radio Newark and um, telling us all about your really interesting life. So, great stuff. I hope the um, the play goes well, the musical in London, and uh, let me know more about that, and we'll, uh, we'll give it a push. So, thank you again for your time. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to play out then with Yvonne Fair's cover of your track, originally placed with Gladys Knight. This is It Should Have Been Me.